Hi, and welcome to The Abnormal Christian. I am Brad Mason, your host, and I'm here today with my wife, Natasha Mason. Hi. She's here with me. So we're going to start a podcast uh, really looking at scripture, doctrine, theology, Christian thinking, Christian living. Uh, what does it actually mean to be a believer a little bit beyond the normal Christian life? Um, I think uh, the show I'm calling Abnormal Christian um, really comes from my own personal desire to be used more by God uh, in everything I do and say and to be used uh, more by God on a daily basis. And I think for me personally, I kind of feel like that's a little bit outside of the normal of what you see other Christians do already. Um, I think most folks are going to church every day, every Sunday and every Wednesday or whenever they go to church. Um, they're raising their hands and they're praising God. And I could be wrong, but I think most of them are getting back in their cars and they're yelling at people in the parking lot as they leave. And they're... <laughs> Why are you looking at me? I'm, just, I'm saying the we are... We are doing one thing, um, and we're praising God at one moment, and then we're kind of reverting back to, uh, I guess, maybe old nature, the old man, the old behaviors. And I think, for me, the abnormal Christian is the person who goes, uh, they go above and beyond. I think if you look in the Scripture, they didn't call themselves Christians until, I believe, the Romans came in, and the Romans called them Christians, which means Christ followers. Um, and so they didn't use that phrase. They didn't see themselves that way. They just saw themselves as a set apart from the rest of the world. They knew had, they had a Messiah, they had a king, um, and they knew they had this salvation, and they knew it made them different from everybody else, but they didn't give themselves a classification. Um, so I think the abnormal Christian looks at it and says, hey, we are saved. We are in the body of Christ, but I want to be – I want to do more. I want to be more. You know, um, For the longest time, I've always struggled with um, – doing for God? Does God need me to do things? And I don't necessarily think God needs me to do anything. Um, I don't honestly even know if God expects me to do things. Um, but Paul said, you know, you show me your works and I'll show you my faith because my faith is what generates my works. So for me, the abnormal Christian is the person who's putting their faith into action. They're saying, hey, it's not just enough for me to go to church and sit and listen to somebody. I need to go and put my faith into action. Christianity is not meant to be lived in between two pews. It's meant to be lived in your home, in the street, and where you go, um, the people you're around, and the things you say and do. That's where it's supposed to be alive. And uh, for me, that is an abnormal thing because I work with plenty of people. I know plenty of people. You know plenty of people who are mm -hmm. Christians. They, they say they love the Lord. I, Facebook is a prime example of this. You go on Facebook, somebody is posting Bible verses with a real nice picture of the mountains in the background, and they're telling you all these, oh, look at this, this is my favorite Bible verse. And then two pictures up, it is some woman that they saw, can you believe what she was wearing? And, I, you know, I mean, it's just, it's not, it, those things don't seem to mesh. And, and some people say that's, you know, maybe you're being judgmental or whatever it is. But I think there has to be some kind of um, desire in us to want to do more. So um, really kind of looking at faith and what we believe, um, I think I've kind of led my wife more along the lines of my thinking and, and uh, explained some of my own personal viewpoints to her over the years. And I, Well, I think that we were both raised the same way to believe certain things. Yes, we had and parents. What? We had parents. We yeah, both we, had parents. Yeah, we had parents. Oh, well, that was great. No, but – and you just – well, as a kid, you just – believe what you were told in church and didn't really question it but you let me to question things or actually just have some thought about it so i think that's what you're talking about like abnormal christian not just a superficial relationship right or a, on the surface 
appearance-wise, but a more um, a deeper connection. Right, and because to me, there has to be a relationship that is um, foundational and fundamental to what you think about your relationship with God. I think there's a lot of people who look at salvation as fire insurance. Oh, I'm not going to hell now. I'm saved. I'm born again. I become a believer, so I'm good. I'm just going to do the bare minimum right. to get me in. And and for me, the cross where Christ was crucified is not the ending point of everything. It is the beginning point of life. Um, so everything that I was led me to the cross, and everything who I will be led me away, is on the other side of it. You know what I'm saying? So I think Christianity or believers in, in general, that's how we tend to live. We're, hey, I got saved. Here it is. I'm saved. I'm born again. I know I'm going to, you know. And then there's really kind of no expectation on their part that they're going to do anything, that they're going to um, put their faith into action. It's like a deflating balloon. Right. And I mean, we see it. We saw it last night. We went to a uh, Crowder concert, if you know who Crowder is. We enjoyed it. Had a great time. Um, There was a gentleman there who was talking about um, he adopted some kids and they were from Africa. And it was a real tear jerking moment. You know, I mean, it was a real great story. The guy, I don't know the guy from anybody. Couldn't tell you his name. Do you remember his name? I just remember he was from Maryland because somebody screamed about Maryland. Right, Maryland. James or something like that. Jeffrey. I don't don't remember the guy's name. I don't remember him. But he, you know, he gave us, he told the story about how he adopted these kids and they were HIV positive. And one of them was in a bag when when it was born. Thrown away. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely a tear jerking moment. And me and my wife are sitting there with 1,900 other people in in an auditorium. And so this guy goes through and he talks about, you know, how it was a blessing for him to adopt these kids. And then he talked about how he supported um, another kid um, as they were growing up with the um, one of those monthly child's fund, I think is what it was called. They support the kids. They send thirty three dollars a month. You know, it gives them the opportunity to have food and water and education and all these wonderful things. And so he goes through. Yeah, absolutely. And he goes through and he explains all this. And then he says, hey, we got ushers coming around and they're going to have cards. And if uh, if you're in. Interested, if you would like to help one of these kids, raise your hand and we'll give you the cards. So, you know, my wife knows my philosophy on things. My philosophy is, is if you see that something is good to do and you do not do it, that is a sin. And that's how I live. That's how I try to live. If I see that there's something good to do and I know that I can do it and I don't do it, I'm sinning to God because that's a responsibility on my part that I have to take care of. So I looked at her and she shook her head and I put my hand in the air and we took one of the cards. And that's not to brag on us at all. No. But what it, what it, what bothered me the most, and she knows these kind of things grind me, is that as quick as we are to say, hey, let us give an opportunity to somebody. We want to help somebody. There are 1,900 other people in there, and she saw maybe four. Yeah, we had to fill out the cards and then take them to a table. So I took the card downstairs, and we got a free Crowder CD for doing that. And there was maybe four or five people around the table. So there's four or five people. There's 1,900 people in this place. We've all paid at least $25 a ticket to get in to see this this show, um, which was great. Don't get me wrong. Wonderful time. Um, these people were, you know, they're packed in there. They were singing the songs. They were praising the Lord with, with the band. It was It was awesome. But in that moment, I was a little personally deflated because I see that and I think, man, you can't convince me. We just spent $45 eating at a restaurant. Before we went. You and can't. Then the tickets were fifty dollars right. for both of us. You're not going to convince me that the other folks who were there couldn't have dug down a little bit 
and sacrifice a little bit of themselves to help somebody. And I'm not saying they don't. I don't know any of their situations. I'm not making a judgment. I'm not saying these are terrible people at all, by no means. But I am saying I don't think we as believers dig down and try and put ourselves in an uncomfortable situation to help somebody else. I don't think that happens. Or we don't give to others at a sacrifice to ourselves. No, absolutely. I don't think we're going to. We're not going to. Well, of course, money is huge. If you're in a church or you're in a congregation or any religious organization, money is something you hear about all the time. It's all about the tithing. It's about where, you know, what are you giving to God? Who are you giving it to? And everybody seems to want to be up in your business on that side. But when it comes down to taking care of, and the scripture said what what pure religion was, was undefiled was taking care of the widows, visiting the orphans, you know, the shut-ins and feeding them and clothing the people who are naked and feeding the people who are hungry. That is pure religion. That's what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to put all our monies in a big charity fund at church to build a bigger building to to, you know, it's these things drive me nuts, and she knows it, um, because I, I so much in my heart see and I think about and I hear about the people who are struggling in the world, and I look at what are we doing, you know, and I think that's honestly what it comes down to. What am I doing? Because as much as those people, I, I really felt like a lot more people there could have done something, it's still my responsibility to do what I can, because if I didn't do what I could, then I'm failing. Yeah, you can only be responsible for yourself. Right. And so, and that's the call out. You know, that's why I think it's the abnormal Christian Christianity. Um, because if you, you look at the, the, the whole group of people who were there, again, good people. But when it came down None to. None of them were under the poverty level. No, they didn't I look like. Think. I wouldn't think they were hurting. They could have. I don't know. We don't know their situation. And I, I'm definitely not trying to pass judgment on any of those. But I will say this. If you go back to when Jesus uh, first started his ministry uh, and, and the gospel after he had been crucified and the day of Pentecost happened and it occurred and they preached, what did the Bible say was the first thing all the people did? Do you know? He likes to quiz me. I do like to quiz her. Do you know? No. It says they all went and sold everything they had so they could split it up among themselves so that no one would be without. They went and sold every all these people who were believers went and sold everything they had so they could put it all together so they could disperse it among themselves so nobody would be without. That kind of sounds like socialism it does but it's that's not but that's not a political point the point there is is that they were so grateful because they understood what they had and it it burdened them to see those who didn't have you know things in their lives whatever it was food shelter whatever it was well i think most americans don't understand what true poverty is which you know you people are poor here but they have a lot of resources but you go abroad and just the depths of poverty is beyond anything that I think most people can even comprehend. No, oh, I and I agree with that. It's it's uh, it's a blessing that God puts us in a position to uh, to afford a certain lifestyle, to live in a country where you have the things you need and you have the things you don't even need. Um, and some people have two or three of those. I mean, we've all got things we don't really need. Um, but it's hard to think in your mind if you've never seen it with your own eyes, you've never been there, that there are people out there who don't have electricity and there are people out there who still don't have food to eat. Or don't it, have access to basic vaccines against polio. And I, I still can't think that there's people out there who don't have water. I mean, it's one of the most water, yeah. basic necessities of life, and there are people in the world who don't have clean water to or drink. Or they have to walk two or three miles for not really clean water. Yeah, some old muddy water. So those are, you know, that's one of the examples of things that, 
as an ab- that I see as being abnormal Christians because I don't think it's the normal. I, and I don't know if God calls people to that. I don't know if God says, hey, I need you to come over here and do this specific thing. I know he does, missionaries. He calls missionaries. He calls uh, pastors and preachers and things like that. But I don't think it's only – if you look at the Scripture, that is not only applied to that one individual. The Scripture lays down this is what we are supposed to do. These are the kinds of things that we're supposed to do, and I don't think we do enough of it. I don't think well, as, a, well, as a whole. Well, I've told you this before. I think that those little things that you do – like give somebody $20 as a tip and you feel like God laid that on your heart to do that I think that's kind of how God shows himself to people especially people who don't believe well and that's that's for us as believers that is the whole reason of doing it Um, because the Bible goes on and it talks about how God is love a lot of people and I've told you this before a lot of people in the world like to say well God is love right so let's look at that a little bit so God is love Uh, God wouldn't judge me God's not going to tell me what's right or wrong God's not going to tell me what to do the Bible says God is love the problem is at the beginning of that scripture it says beloved let us love one another for love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God the main important word there besides love is the very first word, beloved, let us love one another. Beloved, he's talking to Christians, the church, yeah. the, the believers. He's talking to those that are his. He's not talking to the entire world. He's not talking to every person. He is talking to the believers, beloved. That's, you know, you're my wife. You're my beloved. Uh, I think Solomon said the same thing, and beloved is mine. You know, so that is who he's talking to specifically. Love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Those are the beloved. Those are the born again. So, yes, God is love, and that is our responsibility to show love to the world. But sometimes love is not always uh, rosy, and it's not always cheerful. Sometimes love is hard. Sometimes love is difficult. Sometimes love says, hey, the stove is hot. Don't put your hand on it. You're going to get burned. You tell your kids that to protect them. That is love. The world we live in says, don't tell me what to do. I don't want to hear that. I, I don't have any responsibilities. I don't need your God. I don't need your rules and regulations and laws and all that stuff because that's that's just oppression. You know, I don't need that. Um, but true love is going to be willing to tell you where you fail and where you succeed. Um, so that's kind of what, you know, going off the abnormal Christian thing. Now, on the other side of the abnormal Christian, there's this thing um, that I like to call, uh, it's it's really for me based from a messianic viewpoint. Um, and so a lot of people don't know what that is. Warning, warning, danger. Danger, danger, Will Robinson. He said a word I don't know, messianic. He said, oh, what is that? Your house is nasty and you love the Titanic, so it's a messianic. I think we said this yesterday. Yes, no. you said that stupid joke. <laughs> it's, my, it's my dumb joke. Um, so messianic, let me explain that a little bit, and I'll give you kind of what that is. Uh, so in the messianic viewpoint is, is looking at the scriptures from what, what I like to call a Hebraic mindset. Um, it's understanding who wrote the scriptures, the people that wrote the scriptures, um, the God who gave them the scriptures, the Messiah, Jesus, uh, we use the term Yeshua a lot, so I might use that interchangeably with Jesus, so you might hear me say that. Um, we, we use the word Yahweh for God. Um, but really getting back to the roots of what the scriptures mean and how they were written, who wrote them, and why did they write them. Um, I think we live in a world right now where everybody's given their own personal interpretations of the scriptures. Denominations do it. Churches do it left and right. Um, everybody is doing it. Everybody's saying, hey, here's what the scripture means to me. And uh, people build cults off of it. Uh, people build, I mean, just gigantic mega churches off of their view of the scripture. Um, so the messianic movement that's out there right now, 
um, is very much like the denominations of the church. There's so many different groups. There's so many different messianic groups. There's so many different messianic leaders. Um, and really, all they're really trying to do is get back to a basic understanding of the Scripture, um, that the Old Testament and the New Testament work together. They're not two separate halves. And I think that's the biggest div- divider for the church right now. Um, as, and the biggest misunderstanding is that the Old Testament is for the Jews and the New Testament is for the church. That's the that's the consensus that I was taught in Christian school. That is what I was taught from uh, you know a child all the way to to an adult. Um, my dad was a pastor for many years, a preacher. We moved all over the United States, went from church to church. I went to I think I want to say fifteen different Christian schools as a kid. So we moved around a lot. We went to different schools. Went to, and we were independent, fundamental Baptists, which is probably one of the most hardcore Baptists there are. We were rock on, right? <laughs> so uh, we were pretty pretty hard, staunch, fundamentalist uh, Baptists. One of the things I want people to understand, too, the word fundamental is not a bad word. The media will tell you it's a bad word. Uh, the liberals are going to tell you it's a bad word. Fundamental means evil. No, fundamental does not mean evil. Fundamental means this is the truth. I'm not going to change. This is what I'm going to stand on. These are the fundamentals of what I believe. So anytime you hear, I know they use it with the Muslims, they'll say fundamental Muslim. And all that means is that person stands on what they believe, the fundamental truths of their faith. So if terrorism, this is just an off sidebar, if terrorism is part of their fundamental faith, if it says kill the Jews and the infidels, which Quran does, that is fundamentalism, standing on what it says. And that's not going to change. No, and it's not going to change. You're not going to change that. So, you know, I grew up in the the independent fundamental Baptist church, and it was standing upon the fundamentals of the word as they saw it, as it was given to them. It was somebody espoused, this is a a fundamental truth of the scripture. This is how we're going to see things. Um, The funny thing is, and the interesting thing is, there are things in there that are not really fundamentals. Um, The rapture, I think, is one of the things I'll go over eventually, but it's not actually a fundamental in the scripture there's nothing there that says this is going to happen on this day and this is you know i think it's a piece together uh, piece of theology that we use we do know that there is a calling away we do know that there's going to be a drawing away of the the body of christ from the world um, but at what point is still you know that's a, a bit of a contention but it's just an example of something that uh, is not a fundamental because you can't really find this word and you can't find this specific date or action in the scripture Um, So the Messianic seeks to go back and look at the Old Testament. How does it apply to the New Testament? The Old Testament is shadows of things to come for the New Testament. How do I close that gap? Um, How do I make these two into a complete book instead of two separate halves? And I think that's the biggest disservice that we've done to the the modern church over the years is division of the Scripture. We've divided the Bible into two halves. There's a blank page in between the Old Testament and the New Testament that somebody decided to put in there, and this blank page separated. Here's the time when one thing ended and another thing began. Um, But if you know anything about the Scripture, you know that it is not an ending and a beginning. It is the continuation of a story from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelations. It is a continuation of a story all the way from a beginning to end. You wouldn't take any other book in the world and divide it down the middle and call it two separate halves that have nothing to do with each other. It just wouldn't make any sense. So that's the, the outskirts of messianic belief. It's not, uh, it's not uh, definitely not a full picture. I'm not giving a full picture because there's so much there. Uh, there's a, a large emphasis around the holidays that God had laid out in the Old Testament, um, uh, following his uh, his rules, his ways. Uh, the Old Testament they call Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. 
Uh, Which, honestly, I didn't really know that till he told me that. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Numbers and Deuteronomy. Very good. So those are the first five books of the, of the Bible, and they're called the Torah. Um, there are the, the greater prophets, the minor prophets, things like that. Um, so there's different, there's different terminologies that are used for, between the modern church and, and the Messianic movement. Um, the Messianic tends, like I said, look at it from a Hebraic standpoint. And one of the examples that I, I like to use is um, the Greek mindset. I think when people look at the Scripture, we're in a Greek mindset in this world. Everything we do is, is based off of Greek calendars and um, you know just this Greek type of thinking. And, and to best illustrate that, I like to use the word new because um, a lot of people, to them, new means brand new, never used, right? Uh, so it's, it's something that's never been used before. If I buy a new car, that means nobody sat in it, nobody owned it, nobody drove it, so it's untouched. brand new. Right, untouched. But in the scriptures and the Hebraic mindset, that's not always what new means. New doesn't always mean brand new, first time out of the box. New can mean renewed, which is what I think the majority of the scripture actually means. And you know this because he, uh, the lunar cycles in the scripture are laid out that when you see the new moon come around, this is going to start. Or this event will happen on the new moon. doesn't mean it's a brand new moon. It's the same old moon it's always been. It's a renewed moon and went through all of its cycles, and then it came back around to the beginning, right? So it's just a – it is – I know it might sound like a little bit of a semantic, but it has a huge impact upon how you see the Scriptures. It has a big impact on when you see the New Testament or the New Covenant compared to the Old Covenant, and that's, that's, that's huge. Right there is a huge key for the modern church. The Old Covenant is what they consider to be dead and gone, and the New Covenant is set to replace it. But if you look at it, the new covenant is something that is promised in the old covenant. So it's not necessarily a new covenant. It is a renewed covenant with man. This is what God has said he was going to do, and here's what he did. That's the two, you know. And I, I think people look at it and they say, well, when God added a new commandment, because Christ gave us a new command, when he added a new command, that just did away with all the others. No, it just gave you another command. I mean, it's, it's, it's not that complicated. It's pretty simple. Um, we're just adding another command in there, uh, you know. Um, so that's, that's kind of how the Messianics look at it. They take a uh, Hebraic mindset, uh, the people who are living at the time, the Jews. Bible was written by Jews, for Jews, to the Jews, had a Jewish Messiah. Everything about it is Jewish, Jewish, Jewish. So some of those things are going to have uh, uh, applications to the time they lived in. And I'm not saying it doesn't apply outside of that, but it's going to have mindsets behind it as to why they did certain things. Um, so that's kind of, you know, the basic inset of uh, what this podcast is going to be about, kind of looking at Scripture, looking at some ideas, looking at culture, the way we live, um, and looking at it from a Hebraic standpoint and said, hey, I want to be, me personally, I want to be the abnormal Christian. Um, quick story, I uh, talked to a preacher years ago about um, – my own personal belief. And he said, well, what do you want? What do you want? You know, he was, we were sitting in his office and he says, what do you want out of your belief? And I said, I want to, you know, I said, I want to be like uh, Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was accredited with leading a million people to Christ. Didn't mean he actually led every single one of them, but it means his ministry had that big of an impact that a million people were affected um, by this man's ministry. And this preacher looked at him and he laughed and he said, that kind of power is not out there anymore. And I'm sitting there thinking, how are you sitting here as a preacher exactly how are you sitting here as a preacher to this congregation and you're going to tell me that that power of god is not out there anymore for people to tap into it's the same god's the same he doesn't change so as an as a christian that's where i want to be i you know some people call it next level whatever you want to call it i like to think of it as a little abnormal that when people look at you they go, boy that guy's a little bit too uh loves jesus a whole lot more than i do that's a little weird so but that's that's where i want to be so that's what i'm hoping this podcast will turn into um 
this is episode one going to move on to episode two um, check me out i'm going to try and put up a facebook page get on the facebook page share it with other people um, hopefully we'll get in a little more deeper subject matter um, and maybe talk about a little more deeper subjects anyway i'm doing air quotes here so yeah. it's pretty awesome you're so sorry you missed it well outside of that thanks for listening once again i'm brad mason have a wonderful day and we'll catch you later